Thank you all. Good evening. Uh, I would like to, to thank Anya. Thank you so much for your kind words. I would also like to thank Jen Witt and all the Skylight team and all of you who took the time to come to Skylight Books tonight. Well, uh, the novel, uh, when people ask me what this novel is about, I like to say that it's about the sense of possibility. You know, about the, the possibility of uh, fulfilling one's dreams or finding one's own identity. And uh, many people ask me, oh, though, but this is a book about transgenderism. It's a book about what? No, it, it is, but, uh, but I like to think of it as a book about the possibility of reinventing oneself, of taking a, you know, of traveling within oneself, and uh, even if this crossing is radical. I like to think this, you know, radical crossings that are difficult but feasible. So I think that long and short that that's what this novel is about. And and um, you know what? I think I'm going to start reading a little bit. My idea is to read four different sections, four or five. I, I hope I won't be, you know, boring. Uh, and um, I want you to have a kind of a notion of what the story is about. Okay? So I'll start, you know, this, the, the novel is narrated by Armando, who's an eminent psychotherapist in Sao Paulo, uh, and he's telling the story of his 17, his favorite patient, one of his favorite patients, the patient who taught him the lesson of uh, humility, of modesty. Since I mean to speak of the life of others, it is only fair that I speak of my own. My name is Armando. I turned 70 last month. Generally, people think I am older. It has been that way my entire life. I have come to expect it when I meet someone for the first time. I appear older than I am. This visible premature aging is common among psychiatrists. We absorb our patients' problems. We grow old for them. I am one of the city's best doctors. It may sound immodest, I know, to refer to myself in such a manner, but that is how I am referred to when my work is mentioned. I am proud of the recognition I have earned over the years. I am vain. But it does not bother me. I have always thought modesty an overrated quality. I realize vanity can be a treacherous thing. I think, however, that in my life it has played a constructive role. My vanity has meant I have rarely found it necessary to diverge from the natural dictates of my will. As a professional, I have opted not to make compromises. I have approached my profession on my terms. Things might not have worked out, but fortunately, they did. Oops. 
I want to make clear that at this point in my life, I have no desire to lay bare the intimate details of a person who has entrusted his privacy to me. However, if I comment on this case and am somehow remiss with regard to my professional oath, my reasons for doing so have great merit. It is true. I have not kept secret what my eyes have seen, and my ears and my ears have heard. I know, but I do have principles. My intention in telling this story is not to do harm. I want to become a better doctor and a more principled human being. My intent is to learn. The interesting patient. It was a very hot day in Sao Paulo. On the streets that morning, people walked around hoping rain would come and cool things off. No one imagined, though, that it would grow dark so suddenly or that so much water would fall from the sky. The hour and a half of rain was enough to disturb the entire flow of traffic in the city. My office is on the 20th floor of an office building. From my window, I can see the Marginal Pinheiros Highway below. Sitting in my armchair, I could see the dark clouds move in and cover the sky and darken the entire horizon. I turned the lights on at the front desk and walked to the pantry to make some coffee. I returned with my mug, resigned to the fact that the possible new patient would never make it to our first session. He would never, uh, he would get stuck in traffic. Such was life in Sao Paulo. Sitting under the office lights, I expected at any moment to receive a phone call, the minimum courtesy under the circumstances, canceling the appointment. Meanwhile, so as not to waste time, I began to read the thesis of a student I was advising. Sergio Wise's appointment was the last item on my calendar that day. But since he could not make it, I would end my day early. I would stay in the office until the traffic eased up, and then I would have an easy commute home. I would not meet the intelligent and confused young man my college friend had referred to me, but I would have time to read Luciana Cosormelli's thesis, something I needed to do anyway. At that moment, it made no difference whether I met a new patient or finished reading a dissertation on the methodology for establishing public mental health centers. It was all work. It had to be done. However, at 5 p.m. on the dot, the office doorbell rang. To my surprise, he had arrived on time. I was impressed. Since the receptionist had left early because of the rain, I opened the door myself. He wore jeans, sneakers, and a white t-shirt with a picture of Mickey Mouse. Before greeting me with a handshake, he introduced himself. I'm Sergio Wai. Professor Eloise Andrade from the Rousseau School referred me. How do you do? I recognized the last name and deduced whose son he was. 
I knew his father by name. At that time, however, I had no way of knowing he, he owed his straight dark hair to his mother. In the office, he waited for me to invite him to sit. Then, looking straight at me, very confidently, he took the initiative and began. He said he had asked the school principal to recommend the therapist because he, quote, wanted to guarantee himself a future that was minimally happy. I am very pessimistic, he said. The great-grandfather. The most, the most interesting and productive sessions we had were those where Sergio White spoke of his great-grandfather, Areg Yacubian, who at 16 boarded a ship for Brazil. Sergio told me how his great-grandfather had settled in the city of Belém, where a countryman, Hagop Moskofian, had opened a wholesale distribution company four years earlier. His ship arrived in Pará in March of 1915 after making stops in Recife and Fortaleza. Eric's first job was as a warehouseman. He prided himself on being fast and keeping tight control over inventory. He helped Hagop as needed. For 20 minutes every night before bed, he would struggle to read the news in the Notícias do Pará in an attempt to teach himself Portuguese. He had a reputation for being frugal and good nature and living for his work. When Areg arrived in Belém, Hagop set him up in a small room above the store, which Areg slowly appropriated during his first year on the job. The space soon became his bedroom and his dream room, as Sergio was keen to stress quoting his great-grandfather. I have a recurring dream of my great-grandfather, Arak. In the dream, he gives a speech, but I am the only person in the audience. He begins, but he speaks softly, and I can barely hear him. I move closer, but I can only make out his last word, happy. I know why I have this dream. It's because of my memories of Arek's 100th birthday party in Para. My whole family traveled. My parents, my uncle Elias, my aunt Valeria, my cousin José, everyone. We all stayed in my, grand -grandfa my grandfather, uh, grandfather's house. The speech as he remembered. Now that I've turned 100, I know that life is too short to be sad. A happy life is more happy days than sad ones. So the advice I give to the young ones is this. Always try to make your days happy. 
The important thing is having as many happy days as possible. We must never forget that sadness exists because we know sadness really does exist. But you must reject sadness and unhappiness. You must also work hard because work helps in everything. When I was a child, I never imagined there was a country on the other side of the world called Brazil, nor that I myself would one day become a Brazilian. Had I resigned myself and stayed in my city, the place where I was born, our family name would no longer exist. There would be no Areg. There would be no Hagop. There would be no Elias. There would be no Solomon or Sergio or Jose. There would be no one. Our name would have disappeared. There would be no Jacobians here now. So, the message I want to leave the youth is that you must believe in happiness. Then, go after her. Even if that means you must do something new that you never could have imagined before. Happiness comes from the courage to do something new. Happiness exists. I am proof of this. Sandra would have come out dressed in a chef's uniform with a chef's coat and a net for her long hair. Atop the net, she would wear a white chef's hat, the kind we see on television. After saying hello, I would ask, Where is Sergio? Do you know what happened to Sergio? Sandra would smile and say, Sergio and I traded places, Dr. Armando. I used to be your patient, too. You just never saw me. I spoke through Sergio. That deep voice was mine. Now, it's me, Sandra, who's visible. I've been given a reprieve from my life sentence. Sergio still exists, but he's inside me now, hidden in the past. It made me happy when mother told me she'd run into you at the supermarket. I always wanted to see you again. I always wanted to tell you my secret. I never told you I was trans because to tell you the truth, I never had the opportunity. There were so many other things to talk about. And at first, I hoped you'd confront me about it. But since you never did, and since I still enjoyed our sessions and learned from them, I continued my treatment with you when I had nothing to lose. Not everything in life is sexual identity, right? He was a normal boy. 
was in therapy with you, but he was normal. You met him. He told us he wanted to see a therapist because he was having trouble deciding what to do with his life. What were we to do? We said, yes. Anyway, therapy is relatively common nowadays, but I confess a warning signal went off inside me. After Christmas, when he talked to me and his mother and told us he wanted to live in New York, and he said live, not visit, not hang out, none of that, he said live. It was a big surprise. I had a suspicion that something might not be going well, but none of us understood the reason he decided to live in New York. A few days later, he told us he wasn't who we thought he was. It was hard to hear from my only son that he was a woman, that he wanted to go to New York because there he could live as a woman, have a sex change operation, change his name, be who he thought he was. It wasn't easy to hear. I was shocked by what he was telling us, but I was even more shocked by the calm and poised manner with which he communicated his decision to us. The proposal he made to us was that we would let him live in New York for two years to do the sexual reassignment treatment with a doctor named Kutz. To me, it all sounded crazy, but I thought maybe it was just a phase, and we all went to New York. Theresa, Sergio, and I to talk to Dr. Kutz, who told us about our son being transgender. It took me a long time to understand the nature of what Sergio felt, but I never turned my back on him. I gave him all the support I could. I was sorry for him and for myself. I will never have grandchildren. He will never take over the family business. It was awful when I saw him dressed as a woman for the first time. I wanted to rip his clothes off and find my son underneath those clothes, those painted nails, but I did nothing. Nothing. I just avoided eye contact. I kept my head down and I felt love and hate at the same time for what to me was a caricature of my son. That first time I controlled myself and I continued to control myself afterwards. I couldn't lose him. I asked God to help me to get used to that. That I learned to accept it. That the sight of my emasculated son, dressed as a woman, become acceptable to me. I thought of that saying, if you love the ugly, beautiful you seem to them. The first thing I need to tell you is that I'm only here because Sergio was happy. Otherwise, I don't think I would have made it. Knowing he was happy when he died really consoles me. 
I don't know what I would have done otherwise. I know you're a doctor and you've seen many complicated cases, but my two sons, let's face it, had specially difficult lives. In my darkest moments, I confess I wished for their deaths. I didn't care how it happened. One was born without a skull, and the other one with the wrong sex. That's all I produced. That's my contribution to the world. A shallow person might not understand, but I learned to be proud of my children. I generate the same fetuses all over again. Roberto was an angel. He was in this world for eight days and left nothing, absolutely nothing negative behind. A pure soul without a blemish. I wanted to be with him from the moment he was born. I knew he would die, quote, in a matter of days. That's what the doctor said. It is hard not to love a son madly when you know he's going to die in a matter of days. My only concern was for my sick son. My agony didn't last long. Roberto left us and never looked back. He left more emotions behind than memories. I did the best I could. I was given an anencephalic baby, but I gave an angel back. Sergio's death was worse because it caught me by surprise. It took me a while to comprehend it. I couldn't accept that after struggling so hard to be happy, precisely when he was beginning to thrive, he should die in such a stupid, senseless way. After his death, I, I stopped calling him Sandra. So did Solomon. For us, Sandra was Sergio. The child I gave birth to was named Sergio. While he was alive, however, we referred to him as Sandra because he asked us to and Dr. Kutz recommended we did. When I heard of his transsexuality, my first thought was that I'd failed. I was a woman who gave birth to imperfect things. My womb was not truthful. It was malformed, subhuman, I thought. I didn't want any of this. I wish it all had been a dream. But we don't get to do what we want, do we? What could I have done? There are a lot of things we do for love. I cared Sergio, Sandra, whatever, inside my body. I never gave up on my son because I couldn't stop loving him. It was worth it. After he moved to New York, everything changed for the better. There was the sex change operation, which wasn't easy, but Sandra became an admirable person. I know he's my son, and I'm biased to when I say this, but what she achieved as a person and was achieving professionally was very special. I think that in some 
shape or form. This was a result of all the love his father and I gave him. I will never forget one spring, uh, one spring day when we walked across Central Park to the west side. We walked side by side, breathing in the spring air. It was shortly before her operation. Out of nowhere, she said, Mom, I never thought I'd be this happy. Dr. Armando, it helps to remember that we did a good job with Sergio. Let's not, so, let's not suffer over him. He wouldn't have liked that. He succeeded in being Sandra. It's what he wanted. He was happy. He didn't dwell over his misery. It was great seeing him so excited about his restaurant, seeing her look so beautiful, like a model. It was worth it. Some lives are short. Others start off badly and get better. Sergio's life was a combination of the two. We supported Sergio as best we could. We gave it our all. There was the physical distance, but that was good for his treatment, Dr. Kud said. You never saw him then, but believe me, if you'd seen her, you would have been proud. Thank you. Thank you. So, if you have any questions or this is basically the story, you know, you heard the father, you heard the mother, you heard Sandra, and uh, you heard Dr. Armando. But Dr. Armando, if you read the novel, you heard all the time, so you're here all the time. So, do you have any questions? Um, the mother's voice, I thought, was in that brief that you gave us was so powerful, so poignant, and um, truly seemed, it just seems so, there's so much truth in it. And I was wondering how you, if, if you have children, if you. No, I don't have children, but now I just recall something that I, I, I never thought, you know, it's the first time I'm associating with this, but I had a, a hydrocephalic brother that died at age nine, and I uh, was our youngest brother. So I think that, uh, uh, and I've always, you know, witnessed my parents dealing with a son that would not talk, a son that would not walk, that a son that had a... I'm, it's funny I get moved with the things, but you know, uh, the, dwelling with the situation of a son basically without a future, you know, and a son that you're wait, whose death you're expecting to come at any moment. And uh, maybe that's where I took this, this voice, you know, that, um, yeah, you know, because what is, is it's a, it's a big... May I read a little, a little passage? Would that be too bothersome? It's because I think it has to do with that. I write from memory. I write events as I remember them. 
What I tell you is only my interpretation. I make this clear because not everything in my analysis is rational. At this point in life, I am learning that often it is better to feel the answers than to hear them. A week after my conversation with Teresa, that one you, I just kind of... For two nights in a row, I had a dream with three golden retrievers, with three golden retriever puppies. The dream was as follows. I walked down the street with the dogs and they kept getting tangled between my lungs and I would try to avoid tripping. And I sat on the floor of the beach house with the dogs playing around me. They had red collars on with metal dog tags shaped like bones with their names engraved on them. The first one was Sergio, the second one, Sandra, and the third, Armand. It was an unusual dream. It seemed harmless, but it stayed with me. I even mentioned it yesterday to Mariana before she told me she was pregnant. We agree I would go to Chicago in April. By then, we will know if it's a boy or a girl. A curious thing happened earlier today. Someone on the same floor as my office left the door to their apartment open. I think I made some noise as I was getting off the elevator and a dog came out from behind the door. He was a golden retriever, very old, his face already white. He walked toward me sweetly, slowly wagging his tail. He was not a puppy, but his collar was red. Right then and there, I thought of the previous week's dream. I let him smell me. I stroked him lightly, and he sat next to me, and I could not help but think superstitious thoughts. It occurred to me that that dog, who appeared out of nowhere, was the same one from my dream, and that he was bringing me a sign. It's sympathetic to believe this, but I am being honest about what I felt. From the same door the dog had come out of, his owner, a woman of about 40, whom I never seen before, came out. She walked towards me quickly, gently shaking her head and clicking her tongue disapprovingly. Very sorry, she said, approaching to take the dog by the red collar. She escaped. I smell her perfume, and for, for an instant, the image of a braless Cecilia Kutz came to mind. No worries, I said. While she held the leash with one hand, I took courage and said, I know this may sound ridiculous, but I had a dream about a dog just like this last week. Can you tell me something about him? She looked up, a little surprised, but flashed a smile that was part ironic and part benevolent. He's a she, a female, nine years old. She's excellent company, a real buddy. 
the best dog I've ever had. Everyone should have one just like her at home, she said. Apparently, she had interrupted whatever she was doing to retrieve the dog. Her body language was that of someone who was in a hurry and wanted to end our conversation as soon as possible to get back to whatever she was doing. Not wanting to inconvenience her any further, I asked one last question. What is her name? Her name is Faithful, for Mary and Faithful, but we shorten it to Faith. It's easier to pronounce. And if you live in Sao Paulo, you really do need a little faith. Don't you agree? Yes, Sao Paulo without faith is hard. I replied, trying to sound pleasant. I patted faith one last time as we said goodbye. Back in my office, with my neighbor's scent and the three puppies still on my mind, I thought about what had happened. I am not a religious or mystical person, but I realize that in daily life, faith does exist. Now, as I write this, I trust, without giving it much thought, that I will wake up tomorrow morning and have a full day ahead of me. In April, I will visit my pregnant daughter. In September, I will become a grandfather. Life goes on. I firmly believe this. And why did I read this? Because for going back to the mother, it's for my parents and for several other parents. Um, they didn't have this hope. They didn't have this faith that life would go on. You know that uh, that your son will grow up and and have uh, their own lives. It's just you're, you you live waiting for death, and uh, maybe that's what they were expecting. You know, but that's just why I I. You know, I don't know if I made the correlation uh, clear, but in my mind is this, you know, he has faith, and that's important that we have faith. And this kind of daily faith of holding a glass of water and having faith that you're going to raise the glass and you're going to swallow the water and that uh, you're deglute the, the water, you know, and these little things that I will come to you and touch you. And, and, uh, and this little faith that is everywhere every time with us and we didn't even pay attention but this thing with the dog put a problem you know for translators because in every different translation I need uh, a dog whose name can become faith so in Portuguese was Fedra like the Hassini uh, character so Fedra shortened to faith to fe. Fedra Fe. In Italian, it's Federica, the dog, because then it's Federica shortened to Fede. But in English, we had a, a, a tough time, you know, finding a solution. But I like, you know, Mary and Faithful, because besides faith, there is faithful. And I really, that people have to be faithful to whatever they're doing. It's like faith, faith is important, you know, faithfulness is important, I think, for me, at least. And it's something that uh, I, I, I take it deeply in my way of writing, in my, 
You know, the other day I was saying, no, I, I lied so much during my life. In the past, you know, in my past, I lied so much that I, I have the impression that I've had my quota of lying. And I don't want to lie anymore, you know. Like for, for years, pretending to be someone that I, I was not. For years, you know, having a care. My alter ego had taken over. Only that this alter ego was not myself. was just a constructed alter ego. So that's, that, so that's why faithfulness is important. And that's why this, this little chapter for me is very important. You know? How do you... Uh, if I'm with her, you look at this mother, she was able to... few things. She was loving and hating. And said, that's very deep. Because it, and it's so truthful. You know, that's what happens. Sometimes you don't like what you see. But you love them so much that it becomes something bigger than you. And how do you get to that without being a mother? Without how each one of your your, your characters have such a deep insight. You were not a teenager. I know you had your moment of you know coming out and everything, but you were not that person that has to completely transform yourself. How do you find inspiration? How do you write? I think this is the, it's very magical, you know, this writing thing is very magical, in a sense, because it's not that, sometimes I have the impression that you, you don't write the books, it's like you're just the instrument by which the books are written, you know, the book chooses you to write. I just try to be honest, I try to be honest. I think I, I'm not a mother, but I think that I can relate to people, and I, I, I have one thing that it's, the, the, I, I just had the, you know, the proof of this lately. I was, I'm finishing my third novel. And I wrote something that I thought was the most beautiful novel of Brazilian literature. And I handed to my, to my editor in Brazil very confidently, just waiting for her. And he wrote me back saying, so Alex, this is the most banal thing you ever written. And I was so shocked to, to hear that because it was totally decalage between what his impression was and my impression was. And I trust my editor, really trust him. I trust his faithfulness. And I, and I was lost. And, but just to, I will cut part of the story, but the long and short of it is that I was writing the novel I thought people would like. I was writing for other people. And I think that this magic thing that is literature is more or less like this. I have to work in a space in a, within that is totally pure. It's sterile in terms of, of contamination. I have to work in this level of common humanity, you know, and, and, and that's very difficult, but, but it has to be honest, and honesty is not easy to tackle many times, because it's not beautiful, sometimes the reality, the honest version of things are not convenient, but what, if you can work your literature in this pure space of, you know, of of common humanity, I can just extract what I wrote and I can just transplant it into, into you. And it's just like an organ of mine that, that keeps beating in, your, in you because it's like on this lane of human, of common humanity. I really believe that. You know, I, I've worked with human rights for a long time and this, this idea of like we are equal just because we are human 
and we, and being human entails a certain you know number of of commonality and like a certain level of commonality i really believe in that so i want something i want to be so honest that i can extract that from me and put it in you and it will still work because it doesn't have to do with Alex or with Denise. It has to do with a human to another human and to another human. You know, I think that's I, 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 and so that's why I think. And then it makes no difference whether you're the mother, you're the father. You're just like working on very uh, difficult. Then, I mean, I, I, I took like a three months to understand what my editor was doing, and then I start rewriting my novel. And I tell you, for the first three months of rewriting this novel, I would cry every day writing the novel. You know, and who wants to cry every day? You know, nobody wants to cry every day. But that, that's what I had to do, you know. It's like it would be much easier like just to be, you know, the diplomat I used to be until three years ago. I had like a plush life. Everything was... Uh, but, but, you know, life is too short. Life is too short. And if I'm here to write, I want to be real. I want to be real. It's not a matter of vanity. It's a matter of sharing, of making, of making sense, of being part, or helping, you know, helping out. Like of looking for a company, looking for accomplices, looking for, for, for togetherness. I like people. I'm, I'm human and I like that. You know? You said something in New York, you know, uh, about like, the simplicity of the language that you use in, in the book. Yeah. And it struck me when I heard you read today that it was also like really precise. Like it's simple, but it kind of hits. Like, you know, it's also, there's a lot of, you know, it's very precise and kind of beautiful. And, and I saw it was interesting. I mean, after what you just said, like, this. Um, I would like you to say that thing about the the way you use this, that simple language and yeah. why. And <coughs> Sorry. See, the language thing is, I, 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 in New York I said that, it's like a political instrument that I have. I, 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 you heard that there. I always have this fantasy that if I were Norwegian, it would be totally different in terms of writing, etc., etc., because they have the highest educational level in the world. And in Brazil, you don't have that. And in, in my search for togetherness... I want to be simple. I don't want anyone to have to read a phrase that I write twice. First, because, you know, life is too short. If you have to read once, you have to understand and go on, you know, go back to your children, go back to work, go back to your love life, whatever. So there is this thing of not willing to take more time than I But also, I want to be inclusive. I remember that, you know, the, you know, the housekeeper of a friend of mine was all excited because she had, you know, read my book and she had gone, you know, she had read the book in one day 
and she she had understood everything. I mean, the the book spoke to her, and uh, and she was she had what an element not even elementary school education. So and and I think that the fact that you didn't have a, a, you know a PhD or whatever, the fact that you had a, a, a even if you're illiterate, that that that's nothing wrong about being illiterate. It's like it's a it's a situation where you are at, and that doesn't make you more stupid. Doesn't make doesn't that doesn't make you less of a person, and that so there is this thing. But then, like the, the let's say the the precise language, I think that in order to be short and objective, and let's say uh, one size fits all, you have to work on language. You have the, the this word has to be so exact that the. The meaning of a word to me and to you and to you and to you has to be very precise. We had, no, I have to, I mean, I, I, it's simple, but I have to guide my reader, you know, and this, I, I edit heavily, I edit heavily. I, in my, you know, nonfiction too, I, but this is just to make things easier for my reader, you know, I don't want like, uh, ambiguity. I want that's it. You understand? That's it. You understood? So let's go to the first word, to the next word, to the next phrase, to the next story. But uh, but that's it. It's bringing people aboard, you know, sharing a, a, an easier way to share. Let's suppose that I'm going to have a big, big dinner party. Then I will have I know, some people may be vegan, some people may not gluten whatever, or blah 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 blah. But so I tried to do something that would go all the way. Everybody would be f feeling nutritious and you know nourished. Uh, I tried to do something that uh, would fit everybody. I'm not writing for a niche. I don't want to write for a niche. <laughs> I want to. I want to have as many readers as possible, and it's not because of I want to sell or anything like that. It's just because I want company. I want. I want interaction. I want to know what. Uh, what are you thinking? You know, what's your life about? What are you feeling? And so I, in São Paulo, you know, I have those huge residential buildings with different windows, and I always think that you know you have in each one of those. Little windows you have uh, tragedies, uh, happiness. Oh, you know you have a whole world there, and this whole world has to communicate among themselves, and they have to have a common language. I I, I really believe in that. It's part of the the human. It's like a common humanity has a language, or try to get a common you know common language for a common humanity. It, here at the moment, there's a controversy about North Carolina. I don't know if you've been following it. Yes, I have, more or less. Yes, yes, yes. The Obama you know, administration has, you know, insisted that North Carolina not implement. The, I wonder if you could give us an account. Um, my impression is that the, 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 the issue of transgender in Brazil is something that goes back a long time and is, 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 is an important element in Brazilian society. Is, is that the case? Yes and no. We have had, let's say, transgender people very visibly. Uh, I would say, I mean, uh, 
40 years ago, you would have Roberta Close, who was a transgender, who would be on the cover of all magazines and this and that. And you have this other travesty, carnival balls. You have this kind of a fluidity of gender representation in Brazil. However, this is kind of a figment, is because, okay, you have the space for this kind of Roberta Close could be uh, he would she would only be on the cover of a magazine because she was an artist a performer artist or this and that if she were a doctor she would never meant to be you know what is the uh, average age for for the average life expectancy for transgender people in Brazil 35 you know we are the country where the, the, the largest, you know, a, a Brazilian transgender has 14 times more likelihood of uh, having a, a violent death than a U.S. one. So, okay, you have a tradition of seeing, but uh, in certain spaces, in certain roles, it's not that it's like, I'm going to be transgendered and bound. No. You know, you're transgender, but you have your space. You know where you can go. You can, and that's what I fight. You know, I, I, I said that in New York. I really believe that trans, I mean, mankind comprises, you know, transgender people, and has always comprised. And they are entitled to have that. I, you know why I, I had the idea of, uh, of, uh, of a transgender character? Uh, was Because there is a story within the story that I, I didn't mention. This, this book is a lot about, you know, the dialogue between generations. In the, in the epigraph, you have Walt Whitman writing, you know, the, uh, saying in Crossing Brooklyn Ferry that he's writing for people who years hence would be having this crossing in the case from Brooklyn to Manhattan, and just get the same kind of feeling, uh, etc. And then Fernando Pessoa, 70 years later, responds in a in a in a poem to what what this is me. I feel like you. I'm getting into communion with you, etc., etc. And uh, and um, so there is like one generation enabling the the future generations. And uh, I was going through the I don't in. Ellis Island Museum uh, during the peak of the big uh, immigration to the US, beginning of the, the, the 20th century, there was a brilliant, brilliant photographer named Alfred Austerlitz, who was doing all the pictures of the people who had just, you know, got off the boat. And, and he would make the pictures, and you could see in those pictures of people that were just getting to a new planet, you know, with full, filled with hope, filled with fear, were there. And he made like uh, several pictures. So, and the University of New Mexico Press uh, launched this, this book. And I, I could never stop looking at those pictures. Ellis Island is a very strong thing for me. And, uh, and one of the pictures that was there was this woman in, who arrived in the United States in the uh, year 1911. And uh, he, uh, she was dressed as a man. She had come from England and she was dressed as a man. And, and you know, this you know, transgender man in a way enables the possibility of uh, of Sandra 
hundreds of years, of, in fact, like a uh, hundred years later. Um, so I, I believe in this, you know, this. But basically, it's like, I want to be a man. You know, I said, you know, the most radical thing that, you know, the crossing that Sergio and Sandra does is not like a Sergio and Sandra. It's Sergio, unhappy male. Sandra, happy female. That's, you know, you move to improve. You, it's almost as if you take your life and start anew, reinvent yourself, get a better draft of the first version of your life. You know, that was not exactly what you wanted. You know, I don't like this draft, so let's, let me restart anew. And, and then there's this idea of America. The title of this novel in Portuguese, the original title is Sergio Ypsilon Goes to America. Okay, in the case, okay, America coincides with New York, etc., but it could be it's the America, the idea of reinvention, and this possibility of reinvention. You know, I, I, you know, I was sent to the wrong zip code. I was sent in the wrong wrapping. I was sent to the wrong family. I was sent to the wrong culture. I was sent, whatever, you know. You don't have to be where you are. You don't have to be where you are. You have the possibility of migrating. And you have the possibility of migrating geographically. But this usually entails, you know, a kind of an internal migration as well. And a process of reinvention. You know, for one thing, when you migrate, you, 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 you get a new language, you get new ways, you get new fashions. And this is already, uh, but this reinvention can be deeper. As a diplomat, I, I, I think that uh, you, you experience that, that often, you know. It's like, oh, in New York I was like this, so now that I'm moving to Japan, maybe I'll, I'll talk less, I'll walk more. And you, you feel this possibility. Sometimes this possibility is just kind of a question of style, but sometimes it's a question of existential possibility, it's a, of, of happiness, you know, of being happy or not being happy. And I really think we're not here to be unhappy, you know. I'm not here to be unhappy. I could have listened to you for hours. <clears throat> I thought you so um, engaging. I, I couldn't believe that you were, that it wasn't written in English. Oh, the translation, the, the, the Alex led the translator, did a wonderful job, uh, I think. Because English is not my mother tongue, so I can only tell, you know, so much. But... Uh, yeah, he, he, he did a super good job. And my editor at Europe Editions, you know, Michael Reynolds, also went through the text. And, uh, yeah. It pleases me a lot. But you know what? I, I might, uh, this thing, as far as translations go, I really didn't want to get, you know, involved in the process. The first time I read the English version was the day before my first event in New York at Penn World Voices. Because I said, you know, my, my role here is to write the original. The translator's role is to translate it into English. And the editor is just to make sure. And I just asked, you know, Michael, is it reading, you know, smoothly? Is it reading like English? And said, yes. So I trust. Because you're telling me, and I appreciate that you're telling me, but I couldn't, I don't have the, the, I don't get the subtleties of the English language. Oh, come on, don't say that because I could read for hours. <laughs> 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 no, 
I'm very, you know, I'm very grateful. I mean, for me, it's a very humbling experience. You don't know, like, I'm, you know how many Brazilian novels were translated last year in this country? Three. So it's kind of, uh, and it's a country that has so much to do with this one. You know, it's almost as if we had um, inherited the same uh, questions and problems and are trying to solve questions in different ways, but the, the basic problems are, are the same. And I think that the one basic problem we both had is this legacy of slavery, or having a big chunk of, of our population that have a legacy that's not an easy legacy to, 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 to bear. And you know, and we're still trying to make sense of that, of, of being, uh, uh, and this one situation where you have like slaves brought into and let to fend for themselves, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. And, uh, and Brazilians are talking about that, and Americans are talking about that only differently, only coming from different points. So that it's a loss when you don't have um, more, uh, when this dialogue is not so uh, fluid and frequent as it should be, you know? Uh, I don't know, it's, it, but just going back, it's humbling to me to be here and uh, like uh, going, speaking in Portland, speaking in Seattle, speaking tomorrow in San Francisco, and, and uh, I, you know, I've I never been to Seattle, I've never been to Portland. And then in Portland it happened something that already paid for my whole book tour. I mean, as far as I'm, we're like here and there was a, a girl that was probably uh, 13, 14 years old. And she was, as I spoke, she was here all the time. But she was there to hear, to, but she didn't want to take this, you know, the position of, she was there to hear, she was very afraid. And I thought of myself when I first got to New York and I wanted to get to the gay and lesbian section at the bookstores. There was something totally new to me and I would be around and I would try to get closer and I wanted to get closer and I felt an attraction because that, those books would talk to me. And, and she was around. And uh, like uh, the last five minutes, she sat. And then when I was signing, she came to me. And she said, oh, how much is the book? Because she was 13 or 14. And, and she was not uh, affluent or anything. You know? And, and then I said, no. You know, nobody told me. Nobody told you. This is my treat for you. And I gave her the novel. And only this thing of that girl that was she was already transitioning. You could see that she, you know, that that she wanted to, to hear the story, to to partake the story, to be part of that story, maybe. Uh, and just that one thing already, you know, made sense for me to to, to do this. It's, that's the moment when I love being a writer. I love, you know. Generation for generation, like someone did that to me in, in the past, now I, I give that book to, to her, you know, 
And if we go, we will end up at Walt Whitman or the people who enabled Walt Whitman. And, uh, and it's just like a communion. It's like a communion, you know? And that's what makes life compelling, I think. I don't want to live for myself, just for myself, you know? And go to outlets and buy stuff like a squirrel and bring things to my home. Bring things to my home. No, I want to dissipate. No. But thank you so much for, for, for letting me know because I'm like, a, I'm in the blind here. But I'm very glad, I'm very happy. I try to be happy. Life is never a tragedy. Life is never a tragedy. You know. Uh, I, I appreciate. Thank you. And uh, it's just, you know, as I said, what the hell? You know, you know, transgender people should blend in. You know, it's almost saying, you know, like black people shouldn't belong. You know, red-haired people should not belong. What is a body? What is a body? A body can be cut, you know. You can cut a leg and still walk. You know? You can be in bed and still travel in your mind. It's, what is a body? Body is nothing. But it's just like, you know, the color of, of clothes you wear. I, I don't think it should be uh, giving so much importance. No. And, uh, hmm. so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know what. I'm, as I said, I'm kind of in the dark there too. And then when I have feedback from that, it's very good because um, then I, I, it's almost like a bat, you know? I'm flying and then I have like a, some feedback and I orient more. But that's it. Basically, I just don't think that uh, there should be anything so special about transgender about all, all, uh, except for there being humans just like anyone and I don't think the possibility the existential possibilities of someone should be quenched or distorted or whatever because there's gender identity I, I really refuse to accept that so perhaps that's a political 
aspect of my my writing and I like it to be but but you know it's one size fits all you can change transgender and you can just put a different minority or a, a different disenfranchised uh, group of we're colorful we are diverse and and uh, and we should just accept that what what the hell and I really don't see what I mean. I see, of course, and I'm oversimplifying, but but that's how I like to approach the subject, you know. And I believe that culture changes, and that we are the agents of this cultural change. Because I know nobody know like the tradition. The tra traditions renew. Uh, traditions uh, can be replaced, can be improved, right? so much for coming out. I think you, Alexander, I'm always really moved and just overjoyed at the interactions we have at Skylight between brilliant authors and really just brilliant people who come out and share their point of view. So thank you and thank you, Alexander. And please thank you and thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Let me see I have for everybody. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.